0: You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for his glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. you will open your Bible with me to Ephesians, I mean Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. I'm going to start reading in verse nine and I'm going to read down to verse fourteen. Philippians four verse nine. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. Who here got money for Christmas? Any kids get money for Christmas? Who wishes they got money for Christmas? So, when somebody sends us money, and we sit down to write a thank you note for that money, let's think about the things we tend to say in that thank you note. Hey, thanks for the gift. This was fantastic. Here's what I'm going to do with it. You're the best grandparents in the whole world. Send more. And something like this. I want you to notice here, what if you, what if you wrote a thank you note? the way Paul wrote a thank you note. And that's really what we have in the whole book of Philippians is one big thank you note. But certainly in verses 10 through 14, we have a thank you note that Paul is writing to the Philippians because now they have again sent a gift, a financial gift to him while he was in prison to support him and also to support his ministry going forward. What if you wrote a note like his? I mean, make no mistake, verse 9 says that the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things. So if we followed his example, what would our thank you note to grandma and grandpa sound like? Dear grandma and grandpa, I praised Jesus when I got your card and the money you sent. You, you follow me? That's, that's, that's verse, verse 10. That's what he's saying. It felt so good to be remembered. I'm glad that you revived your concern about my financial condition. I'm sure you were concerned about me all year long, but we're just waiting for an opportunity like Christmas in order to share your money with me. Keep going, verse 11. I'm not saying that because I needed your money. I've learned to be happy with your money, and I've learned to be happy without your money. I'm happy to have it, but I was just as happy before I got it. I know how to live broke. And I know how to live with a pocket full of cash. I'm not empowered or completed by your money. I am empowered and completed by Jesus. Nevertheless, it was very kind of you to give me that most generous of gifts. Your loving grandson, little Timmy. Now, if you, if you sent a thank you note like that to your grandparents, I'm just going to go ahead and predict that your parents would be receiving a telephone call. I got the strangest note from Timmy today. I, it was a thank you note, I think. But I just wanted to call and just make sure he was okay. Get enough rest? Something seems very strange about his note. This is why we need to listen to this thank you note very carefully. It, it, it seems that Paul's Crazy. But if we're reminded this morning that this note came not just from the Apostle Paul, but from the very Holy Spirit of God. The fact that this note is so strange, it it might show that we're the ones that need correcting. Our time is very short this morning, so I'm going to move quickly. We're going to seek to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So this morning, we're going to focus on this topic of contentment. The Apostle Paul says in verse 11, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And here's my question. Can you, with a clear conscience before the Lord, say the same thing? Can you say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am? Are you a contented man? Are you a contented woman? Are you a contented boy? Are you a contented girl? The famous Puritan pastor, Matthew Henry, put it like this. A covetous worldly, if he has ever so much, would still have more. But a heavenly Christian... Though he has little, has enough. So I ask again, are you a contented person? Would you say about yourself, but maybe even more importantly, we should be asking, would the people who really know you and care about you and watch your life, Would they look at your life through all the ups and downs of life and say, now right there is a person of rugged joy. Right there is a person who is content with everything they have in Jesus. It's a good text for me to be meditating on this week. One that I hope doesn't leave my mind anytime soon. in studying this text this week, I've just come face-to-face face over and over again with how fragile my joy can be. How, how my moods can go from really high to really low, and it doesn't take much to get me in between those. And for me, personally, it has, it has a lot to do with, with key things tend to, to make me happy or make me sad. And one, one is that I, I really enjoy people's praise. And I really don't like people's criticism, especially if I care about you and really care about what you think. So I can be going through and having a terrible day and then somebody that I really love and respect, that they can say something encouraging to me, oh, it's so helpful you did this, and I'm just like all of a sudden just on top of the world. Other days I can be doing great and fail. Be doing great and have something that I really wanted have a plan made out and it not go through, something stand in my way, and all of a sudden this great mood that I'm in just crashes. So if we think about this, you as we come to this text, it'd be very helpful for you to ask yourself, what is it that puts a spring in my step? Well, what is it that, that 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 when I'm down, what is it that can really build me up at least temporarily, and what is it that, that can really drag me down very quickly? With those things in mind, we need to listen to the Apostle Paul. We desperately need to hear this text. And here's how I want to approach it with with four, four points. The first is I want us just to see the need for contentment. Secondly, I want us to see the complexities of contentment. Thirdly, the path to contentment. And then finally, the results of contentment. The need for contentment, the complexities of contentment, the path to contentment and then finally the results of contentment first the need for contentment we are we are very accustomed to our state our state of mind our state of mood being dependent on our situation We are accustomed to our our state of mind being, being determined by the things that are happening around us. When times are good, when there's money in the bank, and when the boss is pleased, and when our team's on top, when the family's at peace, when the romance is warm, when the biopsy is clear, when the kids are behaved, when people around us are happy with us, times are good and life is sweet. But what about when times are bad? When the boss is mad and the kids are sad? When the bills are due and the wife is through, when love is cold and our car is old, when the team keeps losing and life is very confusing, when life gets hard, it is very easy for our hearts to become hard, too. But this this text and literally the whole book of the Philippians it is like a neon sign that is flashing right before our eyes. If we would lift our eyes up beyond our circumstances to see it, this book is flashing before our eyes that it doesn't have to be this way. That our that our, our state doesn't have to depend on our situation. The goal is for our state of mind to be dependent not on our situation, but on the Savior. It, we're wrapping up this book but let's just remember where we've been the apostle Paul is in prison and why is he in prison? for sharing the gospel he is in prison for following Christ so he follows Christ with all of his heart and where does it get him? in jail there he is in jail but I want you to know in Paul's heart there is praise and it's not a shallow praise, it's an act that somehow he's looking good in front of us, but it really he really is. In his heart of hearts, there is a real, vibrant, life-giving, life-sweetening joy. Look back at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. He says in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, and remember, what's his circumstances? Prison. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel and Paul's actually happy about them. In fact, there are people outside of his jail cell who are preaching Christ. And he says the reason they're preaching Christ is to kind of rub in my face that I'm in here and they're out there. But he says, it doesn't matter to me, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Rejoice! In fact, Paul says in chapter 2 verse 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Here's my question. Do you want that? Do you want that kind of contentment? Do you want that kind of peace in your life That you could be in jail, people outside mocking you, and you literally in your heart, not acting, but in your heart of hearts, praising the Lord. I want to just remind you that Philippians chapter 4, that that this this is not some sort of ultra spiritual, you can never have this. He's speaking of real contentment in real life that he wants us to be able to say with him, in verse 11 of chapter 4, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I guess you can see what I'm saying. At, at least in my heart, there is a real need for that kind of contentment. So the next question is, well, where do we get it? Before we go there, I, I want there to be some some caveats, so, some explanations, so that, so that you don't think that Paul is saying something that he's not saying. So so before we go to how we get it, can we just talk just for a second about the complexities to contentment? As you, as you watch Paul re- rejoicing, don't allow yourself to write him off as some superhuman. See, because if you do that, you'll say, oh, that's just for the apostle Paul. But if he were me, if he had to deal with this woman, if he had to deal with this job, if he had to answer to this boss, if he had to deal with this small of a paycheck. He wouldn't be saying these things. I always, He's not a superhuman. He's just a man just like this. And he's also not a stoic. It's not as if he doesn't care. It's not as if he doesn't feel. He has real emotions. He, he really does experience pain. He's a, a man. L- look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 19. He says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's in jail, but notice in verse 19, he hopes to be out of jail. He's, he doesn't wake up in the morning with, a, with a, 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 an iron around his neck and say, oh, this is fantastic. This is my favorite place in the world to be. This is better than Disney World. I'm so glad I'm here. No, he wishes he was out of jail. He'd love to be free. This is important because contentment doesn't mean laziness or resigning yourself to a life of misery. It it doesn't mean that God is calling you to stay in an abusive relationship. Think about what Paul says. He says, if you're a slave and you can get your freedom, what does he say do? Get your freedom. But if you can't, what does he say do? Thrive. Right there as a slave. So here, here's, here's what he's saying, that, that contentment doesn't, doesn't mean that we have to, to have everything we want. It, it, it doesn't mean that we have to stay where we are, but it does mean having hope and joy in the process. Paul saying I am content also doesn't mean that he's satisfied with where he is spiritually. Think about what we saw back in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and he says in verse 12 not that I've already attained it. Not that I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is happy in Jesus, but he wants more Jesus. He's he's happy with where God has brought him, but he wants to know him more. We see this in our text, don't we? Look back at verse 10 of chapter 4. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Notice that Paul is genuinely delighted in the gift, in the money that the Philippians have sent and the reason is obvious we talked about this a couple weeks ago that in this Roman prison it's not like our prison system that he has to provide his own food he has to provide his own clothing if he's going to have any kind of entertainment there's a point where he tells Timothy listen I want you to bring me my cloak because I'm cold and I want you to bring me my books because I'm bored out of my mind Paul getting this money is going to mean a better life in that jail he's probably going to eat better He's probably going to be warmer. He's going to be able to to fund the ministries of His disciples. He is delighted, but I want you to see that He's not dependent. He's encouraged by this gift that the Philippians are sending, but He's not empowered by the gift. Do Do you see the difference? We ought to work on our marriages. Be content with the marriage you have. Be happy with the spouse that you have. Delight yourself in the wife of your youth, the Bible says. And keep working to make it better. We ought to make goals and strive to achieve them. We ought to pursue growth. We ought to work hard to better our. Conditions. We ought to praise the Lord when unexpected checks arrive and you, you get those, those uh, cards in the mail and they're fat and you're like, oh, there's something else in this besides a card. We ought to be excited about that. We ought to be excited when our kids behave and our, when our wife thinks we're great. But the goal is that we learn to be happy in Jesus, independent of all of those things, with genuine thankfulness in our hearts all along the way. When that way is easy, And when that way is very hard, which, of course, then brings us to this next point. Okay, well, how do I get there? What is this path to that kind of contentment? Here's the first thing I want us to see, that the path to contentment is a process. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content." In whatever circumstances I am. He says in verse 12. I have, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having an abundance and suffering need. So you tell me. When the apostle Paul says I have learned to be content. What does it imply about his, content, his contentment? He's not always been that content. Do you see that? He had to learn it. There was a time in his life when he wasn't happy in whatever his circumstances. It's something that he had to learn. Do you see how much hope there is in that for us? When the Apostle Paul says, I had to learn it, there is hope then for us to learn it. And it reminds us that again, this is not just some, this is not pie in the sky stuff. Paul says, I want you to learn this contentment. The things you've seen and learned and heard from me, this is what I want active in your life. We need to notice that the battle for contentment is fought on two fronts. Look at verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Do you see the two fronts? "In In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret both of being filled And of going hungry. Both of having abundance and of suffering need. Our challenge is to learn to get along with humble means. That's a real challenge. But there's another challenge. The other challenge is learning to be content with prosperity. What's hard about living in scarcity? What's hard about not having hardly anything in the bank? you you tell me let's just let's just and again i'm asking this not not just so we can participate in some kind of psychological thing what what i what i want to say this is this is this text is meant to be worked into our lives so so whenever you're whenever things aren't going well whenever you don't have the money that you wish you had what kind of things tend to be a struggle why is scarcity such a problem you're not in control this is, this is the power of money. It gives us the illusion of control. It's an illusion. 2020 hadn't taught us anything. Whatever you've got, it can be taken like that. There is no real control. You don't have any control. Your control is so pitiful, it's laughable. But, 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 but money gives us the, the illusion of control. What else is, is hard when we don't have what we wish we had ah that's when that's when coveting comes in you you, you look at the person you work harder than them and they make more than you you're working harder you're laying your life down but God is blessing this guy over here that's such a rascal you're putting along in your station wagon here's this young teenage guy who hadn't worked a day in his life in this fancy car what else what else makes scarcity so so dangerous and hard say that again help health When you don't have that, I mean, that, that opens up a whole thousand doors of insecurity, doesn't it? What's going to happen tomorrow? I'm even going to be here. What's going to happen to my kids? What if I can't take care of them? Here, here's one for me. well, here, here's another one that comes to mind, is, is scarcity, it, it limits our choices, doesn't it? Something, something bad happens, you got plenty you can just get another one but, but but with scarcity we have it just limits us so much makes us dependent here's one for me scarcity not 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 just with money but also like for me personally like when there's not fruit in ministry when 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 i'm working hard and it's like nothing is happening i, I begin asking questions like does God even love me? Does He care? Does He see? Where am, I, where am I off base? Is there sin in my life I don't even know about? Did I get off track somewhere and I need to go back to this mystical place where I got off track and find out where that is? Am I, am I doing something wrong? Am I even a believer? Or am I just making this stuff up? scarcity is a real problem what about the other front the front of prosperity <laughs> tell me what could possibly be wrong with prosperity prosperity is good right what, what 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 could possibly go wrong with prosperity how can prosperity keep us from contentment what what's the dangers of prosperity Worry doesn't go away, does it? Scared to death, somebody's going to take it from you. What else? Oh, you don't have to depend on God. Like, you have no money in the bank, and your car breaks down, what do you do? You freak out or you pray. If you have plenty of money in the bank, and your car breaks down, you don't freak out or pray. You don't need God. I'll just buy another one. You need to come to mind. This is the problem with prosperity. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says that, that what can happen is that, is that we can think that by my power and the strength of my hand, that's why I have success. We can begin to think that we're winning because we're great. So what's the answer? I want to I submit to us that, that this process toward contentment that is, is presented to us in the book of Philippians, is actually in some ways very simple. But, but I, I hope that you will, you will take and continue to meditate on this. I believe that what the book of Philippians, what Paul is saying in the book of Philippians, that the pathway toward contentment is for you to forsake some things and for you to cling to other things. So so let's, let's think about this. I wish I had more time to unpack it. If you're interested, you can talk to me later. But I, as I was studying this week, I was, I was seeing things in the book of Philippians that are pulling us and seeing other things that are pushing us. And then there's internal things that are happening that motivate us for good or evil. And so if you're interested in that, I have a picture I can, I can share with you of some notes. But, but the, the secret, I believe, of contentment is to forsake evil and self reliant, self-sufficient, self-serving forces, and then to grab hold of the right forces. So that's what I want to do. For a second, I want to think about what is it, what is it that keeps us from contentment? What are the enemies of contentment? We think about this, and I think the first enemy that that the Apostle Paul lays out for us that we'll talk about now, that, that will rob us of contentment, is the enemy of fear. And again, if the pathway to contentment is to forsake forces that rob our contentment and to cling to Christ, here's what it means. That we need to fight to forsake fear. Take a look back at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. And we'll go to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Look what he says in verse 6. Be anxious for how much? Nothing. Are you kidding me? Be anxious for nothing. But in how many things? Everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request... Known to God well that sounds really good on paper Paul way to go but that doesn't work in my life if the apostle Paul were standing here right now he would say no I really mean it be anxious for nothing But in everything, by prayer and supplication, you make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to learn, that's what he says in verse 11 and 12, we need to learn to make the pattern of verse 6 our new pattern. Look what he says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, forsake the enemy of fear and anxiety. So, so what does this look like in real life, Paul? In real life, here's what he means. You feel fear coming up, you feel anxiety coming on, and for you, just what verse 6 says, to be anxious for nothing. For you, even if you have to, to verbally say from your lips, No, I'm not going to be scared, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm going to confess that as sin because verse 6 commands me to be anxious for nothing. So for me to stand here in fear and anxiety is for me to disobey. God, I, I am not, by your grace, I am not going to disobey you right now. What does he say next? He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What supplication? asking for things (laughs) this struck me as we read it earlier in the first service what kind of God is it not true in your your life that you resist God you're scared of what he's going to bring into your life You know you ought to be reading your Bible and you're thinking of a thousand things including cleaning your toilet that you want to do right now instead of getting into that Word. What kind of God are you resisting according to verse 6? A God who commands you. Ask me. You're scared of something? You're anxious about something? Ask me for it. I'm not going to be anxious. Instead, he says, pray. And ask him. Oh, God. You know my heart and you know I'm getting worried. I'm scared. Lord, you told me not to be scared. You love me. You prove that on the cross. You... Shed your blood for me. You, and you commanding me not to be scared means that you must know something that I don't. God, would you help me? Here's what I think I need. And you, you invite me. The only reason I'm saying this is because you, you not, don't just invite me. You command me to ask. And so I'm asking. Now, you tell me, again, verse 6. How does he command us to ask? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Again, I want us to think about this. So, so as we're... As we're th- how, if you're anxious and you're scared, how can you possibly in those moments thank Him? So as you're praying, scared, asking Him for... W- 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 in what ways or, or for what reasons can we be thankful to the Lord? In that moment when you're scared to death. promised us this, this is not just a command he makes once this is one of his favorite promises I will never leave you I will never forsake you I don't know how this is going to work out but I am thankful that you are going to be with me think about what Paul says he says I want to I know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering So so in my sufferings, I'm going to get a little taste of what you experience. And I'm going to get to enjoy you in my suffering. There's a reason to be thankful. What else? What else do you have to be thankful for even when you're scared? Okay, so this is helpful. Brenda says, I can be thankful because I'm breathing. And you say, you know, really? But, well, yeah, really. Isn't it helpful to see, I'm worried about this thing, but Lord, there are a thousand things right now you are doing for me. See, this is what discontentment does. God can give you a, a truckload of good things. But discontentment, this is what Jonathan said last week, discontentment sets your eyes on what? <laughs> the one thing, just one little thing that I don't have. It's good for us to be reminded with Let me step back from this and see all the things that you're doing. Here's something that comes to mind. With, with this, this, is, this, this thought comes from a guy named, um, named Ed Welch. And he says that when we, are, when we live in fear, that, that we're basically seeing ourselves as prophets. That we're predicting the future. And, and what he says is that if you look back at the track record of all the things you worried about, that God took care of, you find that you're a, you're a terrible prophet. <laughs> you all never listen to yourself. We can be thankful for all the thousand things that you've done in order to rescue me from all the things I was so nervous or freaking out about before. And, you, and you, you showed yourself faithful in that. What else can we be thankful for? The cross. If this were a classroom, y'all would, y'all would be... She's going to get an A. We can be thankful for the cross. What's so great about the cross? Here, here's one thing that comes to mind. This is, again, I don't have an original thought. Russell Moore says what's, what's good about the cross is that, is that it reminds us, That the worst thing that could happen to us, the thing we're most, like you think, the thing I'm most afraid of. The worst thing that could ever happen to us has already happened to us. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is that God Almighty completely forsake us. That we be mocked and shamed by even the people closest to us. The worst thing that could possibly happen to us is that we hang naked on a cross, drowning in our own blood. Wait a minute. That's already happened to me. Jesus says I was with him when that happened to him. That cross was my cross. Whatever I'm worried about, even the worst has already happened to us. And I've already been raised from the dead. In the moment, Praying, asking, and being thankful. This is not just a a one time thing. You need to to press play on verse 6 in your life and then put it on repeat. And there are some days that as you, 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 you pray and you, you confess, I'm, I'm sinning by, by fearing and I am, I, am, I am asking you, I am trusting you, I am thanking you and I get up and five minutes later I'm worried again. What do you do? <laughs> just, just press repeat on verse 6. No, I'm not going to be anxious. And here's what you find. As you live your life, As you live your life confessing your anxiety, praying to God, thanking Him for what you have, here's the promise. It's the promise right here of verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And just like the Apostle Paul, you will learn to be content in whatever circumstances you have. So here's what I'm saying. The path of contentment, the way to get there, is you've got to fight these things that try to rob you of contentment. And the first thing that robs us of contentment is fear. Secondly, there's something else that will rob us of contentment. And that is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is a contentment robber. That doesn't make any sense. Because it seems as if a person who's getting what they want would be content, but it doesn't work that way, does it? You think about this, we're, we're, we have a, a lady in, in, uh, at First Baptist who, Lord Willem will be having a baby in, in, in May. So, okay, well, let's do an experiment with this child. For, from the time this child is born to the time this child is 21, 25, 35, 45, let's just, as parents, let's just give this child whatever they want. You tell me, are you going to raise a contented child? Selfish ambition, though it's contrary to what we think, selfish ambition is actually an enemy of contentment, not a friend of contentment. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And, and see, here's the thing. You have, this, you have this enemy that's pulling on you, trying to influence your mood, influence your will, influence your decisions. It's pulling on you. Think for yourself. You need to, you need to fight for yourself. You need to get what you want. You need a more powerful force, a better force at work in your life. And it's exactly what the gospel offers us. Look at chapter 3, verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. They don't like the idea that the cross is about God Himself laying down His life, denying Himself. For the good of others. They are enemies of that. They don't like to embrace that kind of weakness and selflessness. Verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their appetite. And whose glory is in their shame. Who set their mind on earthly things. Their God is their appetite. They are driven by their desires. They are proud of the things that are actually their shame. And their mind is where? On earthly things. On temporary things. On things that will not last. Then he says in verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. There's the fuel for thankfulness even in hard times. That regardless of what I'm going through right now, I'm waiting and one day the sky is going to split and Jesus Christ is going to come and He is going to establish His kingdom on earth and He is going to transform this humble mess that people call Tommy Hullet and Tommy Hullet is finally going to look like Christ. What else needs to be forsaken? If you, the path to contentment is for you to kill fear by God's grace. The path to contentment is for you to kill selfish ambition by God's grace. Finally, I just want you to see, maybe you can find more in the book of Philippians, but the one I saw is that what needs to be forsaken, that that contentment is absolutely necessary, that we absolutely crucify self-sufficiency. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the true circumcision. In other words, we're the real people of God who worship. This very easily could be translated who serve God in the spirit of God and who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So when we're talking about true believers according to verse 3, what is it that empowers the believers' worship, their service? not self I worship in Tommy Hullett power no that's not what he says he says true believers they worship in the spirit of God and they glory not in what they can accomplish of their own ability and their own power but they glory in Christ and how much confidence do they put in what they can do in their own power answer according to verse 3 Zero. No confidence in the flesh. Verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, whatever I had going for me, I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, derived from my obedience. To God's law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith you see what he's saying contentment begins with forsaking fear forsaking selfish ambition and absolutely forsaking self-sufficiency and grabbing hold instead of Jesus chapter 3 verse 8 he says I've forsaken everything Verse 9, I've forsaken everything that I may have Christ. And in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is exactly what he says in our text, isn't it? Look back at verse 11 of chapter 4. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I have. I know how to get along with humble means and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see what we're saying? That the path of contentment is about forsaking fear. Forsaking selfish ambition, forsaking self-reliance, and clinging to Christ. This is the gospel that Jesus preached, isn't it? It says Jesus came preaching, and he said the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Forsake and cling. And and when we we forsake fear and selfish ambitions and self-sufficiency and rely instead on Jesus Christ, what will happen? we'll find ourselves saying with Paul, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So let's think about, as we close, on the results of that kind of contentment. I think about this, again, you may can come up with more, but three things that really motivated me about that. Why do I want to be a contented man? Why do I want to go down the painful process of of destroying fear in my life of destroying selfish ambition of destroying self-reliance why do I want to go down that path and here's one thing that came to mind because your joy if you learn to be content the way Paul was content your joy will be rugged your joy won't be dependent on what happens on CNN your joy won't be contentment you're poor I'm happy I'm rich I'm happy Beans for supper? Fantastic. Steak and ice cream for breakfast? Great. Somebody just pushed in front of you in the line? Your brother or sister just took your toy? Fine. It doesn't matter to me because I'm not living for me anyway. (laughs) I'm, I'm... By God's grace, other people are more important than me. Chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. You failed at home. You failed at work. You failed on your diet. You failed at school. You failed on the ball field. That's okay. Because my identity is not built on my performance anyway. I am not seeking to have a righteousness that I can achieve on my own. I'm seeking the righteousness that comes as a gift from God on the basis of faith. You failed in your walk with Christ? That's okay because my standing with God doesn't depend on my performance. Do you you see the freedom that, that that contentment is offering you? The freedom, life goes up and life goes down. And I'm not enslaved to it. I'm not enslaved to what people think. I'm not enslaved to what my boss does. You see the hope he's offering? The day when Christ is king and this struggle is over is coming quickly. And on that day, Jesus promises that the humble are going to be exalted. That the poor in spirit, they're going to inherit the earth. That those who spent their life mourning are going to be comforted. That the gentle are going to inherit the earth. That those who hungered and thirsted for righteousness are are finally going to be satisfied. That the merciful are going to receive mercy. That the pure in heart are going to see God. That the peacemakers are going to be called sons of God. That those who've been persecuted and ridiculed and insulted and slandered for righteous sake will be given a kingdom. The kingdom of Christ. Everything in this world is uncertain. Everything that you desire and you put your security in and you put your hope, it's all uncertain. If 2020 hadn't taught us anything, it's that. It's it's just uncertain. Your, your, Your power and your goodness are pitifully fragile. Forsake them. And have Christ. And the Bible says you'll be satisfied. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I confess to you that I need this I'm tired of being enslaved to this roller coaster of, of up and down and my joy being dependent on what, on what happens all around me on this earth and what other people think and, and how I achieve. Father, I pray that you would give us grace to, in, in real life to fight fear by trusting you. To fight selfish ambition by trusting you. To fight self-reliance by trusting you. I want to be able to say with Paul, I've learned to be content with whatever circumstances I am. And I pray you would do it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.